0: of the Square Encompass podcast this time with Brother Barry Mann all the way from Sunny, California. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, glad to be here.
0: So we met through uh, a masonic acquaintance of ours who I will I'll leave a link to his video, uh, Brother Carp, uh, of Carp Mediation Services of Clarence uh, Smith Daylight Lodge. And of, uh, um, you know, his connection to one of his connections to you, and the reason that I have you on the podcast is he was the 2020 Hiram Award winner in the state of California, and you are 2021's uh, uh, winner. So, congratulations to you for that.
1: Thank you very much. A complete yeah.
0: surprise. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure it was, but I'm also sure, um, it was very well deserved. Um, is, so last year, if I recall correctly, Brother Carp received his award virtually. Um, are you meeting again in California? Are you able to have an in-person award ceremony or will you also be receiving it virtually?
1: We're scheduled for November 13th. It just depends on what uh, the situation with the COVID is at that time.
0: And, you know you mentioned it being a complete surprise so tell me about that how did you find out that you had won what did you think you know when you discovered that you you had won and just what does it mean to you to be uh, uh, a higher Award winner recipient
1: well it was uh it was mentioned in a stated meeting and i just was so surprised because i never in the world expected to be the one uh, nominated i am so honored Uh, I still feel like there are plenty of people that deserve it before me, but I'll take
0: it. And, um, you know, uh, did they talk at all about when they announced it, some of the things that, you know, you've done in your Masonic career um, as to why they selected you in particular this year for uh, uh, an award recipient?
1: Well, I was one of the first members of the, our lodge, the Clarence F. Smith Daylight Lodge, and uh, I was the chaplain for a year or so, and then I moved into the treasurer position. So I've been treasurer for about three or four years.
0: And talk to me a little bit about your uh, uh, masonic career, starting um, you know at the beginning. What what was it about Freemasonry that made you interested in joining? Um, did family connections, friends, I guess, what what was your impetus to look into joining a launch?
1: I had a uh, grandfather who was uh, very active in the Masons and the Scottish Rite. I didn't know a lot about it until after he passed away, and uh, we inherited all his uh, regalia and uh, awards and things that made me start wondering about uh, Masonry, and uh, I decided to pursue it.
0: And did your grandfather, um, uh, you know, you said you learned about it when you inherited his regalia. Um, so did your grandfather ever discuss Freemasonry? Or even did your father talk about, you know, having a, a, his father being Masonic? Uh, was there ever any discussion about it in your family?
1: Uh, my grandfather was a member of the uh, Beverly Hills Lodge. And he would tell me about uh, some stories about some of the more famous members of the lodge who were actors and uh famous people, and telling me a little bit about the darker side of these individuals. but uh, the rest of my family knew nothing about masonry at all.
0: you know, I think that's a pretty common thing my my father. Is a mason both of my grandfathers were masons um you know my dad described freemasonry when he was growing up uh he said it wasn't he said it wasn't secretive per se he said it was quiet that makes sense he said um you know it was just a common part of life in in the town people would go to the lodge and they'd leave but it wasn't it, it's funny the way freemasonry has changed so much from you know our grandparents who perhaps weren't talking about it much outside of Lodge to, you know, we're having podcasts about it. We're having, I assume the award ceremony will be public. Uh, Just what are your, we have t-shirts with the square and compasses on them. Just what are your thoughts on, on kind of Freemasonry becoming a little bit more open and and brethren discussing their involvement with the craft more regularly?
1: I think it's great. I think a lot more people would benefit for, from uh, being members of uh, the Masons, you know, it's such a great organization. There's so many people in my lodge who I would never in a a lifetime uh, be friends with because they're so different than my background and my my friends. And I'm able to really get a chance to meet people out of my comfort zone. And it's been great.
0: Is that you think the you described Freemasonry as a great organization. Um, is the the people that you meet and, and the friendships you make? Would you say that's the main thing that makes it great, or what are what are some of the things that make Freemasonry, uh, in your opinion, a great organization?
1: Well, it's got to be the individuals. Uh, the members are, you know, very honest and, and um, helpful. Any member that needs uh, anything, all you have to do is ask one of your brothers. And they will give you the shirt off their back if they, if they can. And uh, it's just a great organization for meeting new people and getting to know people out of your comfort zone.
0: Now, you just, you, you use the word comfort zone uh, or words comfort zone a, a couple of times now. Um, in, a, in a Masonic context, um, you know, getting out of one's comfort zone what, what, what do you mean by that? Um, you know, uh, does that have to do with meeting new people, but also, you know, memorizing work and, and public speaking? Um, how does Freemasonry encourage people to get out of their comfort zones?
1: Well, I'm, I think, you know, I have a group of friends that are all pretty much homogeneous. And the people that I meet in the lunch are anything but my normal group of friends there are many people who are Filipino that are Middle Eastern and you know uh, ethnicities and uh, groups of people that I would never get to to know other than being at lodge.
0: As a Hiram Award winner, as a or I guess uh, soon to be Hiram Award winner, the ceremony on in November. As as a high reward winner, as a longtime Mason, chaplain, um, you know, member of the Daylight Lodge, what advice would you have for individuals considering joining the craft and also for Masons who are perhaps just starting their Masonic journey or just about to start their Masonic journey and just about to, you know, be initiated?
1: The people that are Masons or, or soon to become Masons. I really encourage them to get involved because you you can't really get to know a lot of the Lodge until you're looking from the inside out and getting to know a lot of the people that are active in the the Lodge. To be a sideliner and sit and watch some of the uh, the events going on is fine, but uh, the more you become involved, the more you really become part of the organization. And for those people who uh, have, have not joined, I would recommend going to a, a lodge open house and, and getting to see what we do. It's a it's a great organization. We do a lot of wonderful things to help uh, everybody.
0: How how would you you, you what what about um, kind of after the last year and a half, um, you know, Freemasonry Ontario has suspended in-person meetings since March of 2020. Uh, I know that, you know, talking with Brother Kark, that a lot of Masonic activities, in-person events were suspended in California for, I believe, over a a year, uh, year and a half, perhaps. How have you found it getting back into lodge and in-person events and has there been any trepidation amongst the membership in california um are you you know wearing masks just what's it been like returning
1: it it was scary in the beginning uh everybody's wearing masks that's the edict of our master and and our inspector so everybody has to be masked masked and uh socially distanced when whenever possible so but it, it was It was hard getting used to coming back into lunch and being with people again. It was, you know, we were hermits for over a year.
0: And how long have you been meeting in in person again for? Uh,
1: About three, four months.
0: Have you found over the last three or four months that those uh, nerves uh, have subsided a bit and people are becoming more relaxed and getting back into a, a pattern? or are you finding that the nerves have been remaining?
1: Well, we, we have a rule that everybody has to be vaccinated or has to have had a, a negative COVID test in the last 72 hours. So we're pretty sure that uh, you know, we're not gonna spread COVID, but it's still, uh, it's still uncomfortable to get, uh, get used to it. And we're trying to keep our distance as much, much as we can
0: you know bringing up your position within lodge it, it's interesting i'm just trying to think back you know i have interviewed um uh a couple masons who have been chaplains uh of a lodge but i don't think i've ever really discussed with with them that particular uh office so you know, for yourself, uh, uh, how would you describe, what would you describe the role of the chaplain in a Masonic temple, in a Masonic lodge to be?
1: Well, you know, basically opening, closing prayers are, are the main events, but also some of the uh, activities within the lodge uh, that require, like the perambulations, uh, may need somebody to, to do the... Uh, the speaking parts, uh, and it's, it's basically uh, more formal and ritual than anything else.
0: The, the formal aspect of the chaplain's chair, and formal and and the ritual aspect of it, um, is that something that you find yourself drawn to in Freemasonry? Um, You know, there are some brethren who prefer the administrative functions, secretary, treasurer, some uh, who find themselves more preferring the ritual side of it. Is is ritual a preference of you in, the, uh, in your Masonic career? No, actually, I
1: got into it because there was an opening and uh, I was asked to become the uh, chaplain and uh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I enjoyed the memorization of some of the things that you had to do and memorization came easily to me, and so I just kind of
0: got right into it. Was that another example of you kind of stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit, and uh, uh, you said, you know, you, you were asked to, which is how it pretty pretty much everybody finds themselves in a chair, um, and you, you know, were you surprised to find that you enjoyed it? Was that another example of of the benefits of going out of your comfort zone a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. I, I didn't know what to expect when I first started doing it, but I got into it and I very much enjoyed it.
0: And looking uh, ahead, where do you see, um, uh, do you see any challenges coming forward that, that Freemasonry is going to have to face? And how do you think we can deal with some of those, those challenges we may be facing?
1: Well, I think the biggest challenge that we're faced with is COVID. And you know the hope is that eventually it'll die down and uh, we can get back to business as usual. Um, but I think we, our launch in particular has had an influx of brand new people. So many that we are just inundated with uh, new members and, and trying to get them all initiated. It's, uh, it's a good position to be in.
0: You know, that's interesting. Um, I have interviewed uh, many Masons um, who have actually expressed uh, trepidation uh, and concern over uh, the increased number of applicants that have been coming through lodges. Their arguments being, uh, and they Look back to the nineteen twenties and nineteen fifties, kind of the last two boom periods of the craft, uh, and their argument is uh, basically: during those two time periods, we had rapid growth in membership, but lodges were were not equipped to, you know, properly mentor or um, give adequate attention to the new applicants, and so you saw a rapid increase followed by significant declines, especially in the 1950s. Um, a lot of those applicants you know maybe joined, but but were were difficult to find uh afterwards. Uh, John Bizak, I'm a Masonic author, has written about this. I guess do you um how would you ensure that lodges not only uh bring applicants in But also uh, lodges ensure that those applicants receive adequate support and mentorship throughout their Masonic career, especially you know as they go through through their degrees and begin in perhaps uh, officer positions.
1: Well, we're we're trying to do a buddy system so that every new applicant will have uh, one friend from the lodge who will help them help them learn their. their memorization and and explain to them the process that they'll they'll be going through. So we try to keep that mentoring program going so that nobody feels lost and and not able to have somebody to help them out when they, when they have questions or problems.
0: And, you know, the other concern I have about uh, membership and, and, it's it's hard to say. I think ultimately, you know, Freemasonry does need more members, uh, probably in every jurisdiction, significantly more. I I don't know how, I don't know how it survives without an increase in membership. Um, having said that, you know, I I do think, uh, Brethren such as as John Bizak have a good point. You know, the other thing they bring up is, you know, increasing membership can. It was often a. Uh, a way to perhaps paper over uh, problems in a lodge. So, you know, you can have administrative problems or, um, um, you know, the lodge isn't doing well in ritual work or whatever it is, but so long as your membership numbers are going up, you could point to that and say we're we're successful and not deal with some other problems. So I guess going back to this uh, idea, um, you know, how do you make sure that a lodge... Is devoting sufficient time to its applicants and its new members, but also devoting sufficient time to the other areas of the craft ritual work, charitable work, uh, administrative work. You know, how does a lodge find that balance?
1: It's difficult. The first lodge I belonged to was the Hollywood Lodge, Hollywood, California. And we had a membership of maybe 150 or 200 members, uh, most of whom were not active, uh, and it was a difficult situation because uh, we never seemed to have enough people to help out uh, at some of the activities. Uh, but they were they were there for the social activities, but not any any of the ritual work. So it's if you get too big, it's hard to keep people involved. It's nice to have a small membership where. You can keep everybody involved, and everybody is is always communicating with each other.
0: And and how do you? That's a. Uh, uh, I'm a secretary, uh, of my affiliated lodge, secretary of Harmony Five Seventy Nine. You know that that communication has been um, a challenge, especially during during COVID. Um, how important is it, and and how can lodges? maintain communication with with their membership, especially perhaps those older brethren who have a hard time making it out or, or brothers who travel and can't be at Lodge. Um, but what are some ways that you can maintain your, your um, membership, uh, communication? Well,
1: again, the important thing is to have like a buddy system or a group of friends that uh, get together either in Lodge or outside of Lodge to, to keep their activities, to keep their membership active. Uh, so the best thing to do is to just be able to have members that are always communicating with either the active members or the ones that are not active.
0: Going back to your uh, Hiram Award, what are some of the things that um, you are you know, most proud of in your uh, Masonic career? that you, you look back on uh, with pride and what you think perhaps contributed or could have contributed to to your receiving the award?
1: Well, I started out in the Hollywood Lodge as the chaplain, and then uh, they had a position of a building manager that was needed. So I became president of the building association. Then I, I got a call from Granada Hills Lodge, which was you know like Five miles from my house. They needed a a building uh, manager also. So I moved over there. That was one of the things that really attracted me to the Masons was uh, maintaining and helping with the building. And then eventually I found my way to the Daylight Lodge, which was great because I was tired of the evening meetings and it was nice to be able to have a Saturday morning meeting. And I just, I really enjoyed the camar- camaraderie and uh, the activities. So, I, I just enjoy masonry a lot.
0: I, the, the building, you know, that is something I've been really focusing on lately with Grand Compass. Is our buildings? Um, so many of them are heritage structures. So many masonic buildings have been lost, unfortunately. Um, uh, either sold or just in some cases abandoned. You know, this building's in Alabama, for example. Uh, how important is it? Uh, why do you think it's important that Freemasons not only take care of its membership, but also take care of its its temples and its buildings?
1: Well, what's happening in California now is many of the lodges are property rich and cash poor, Many of these lodges have been around for 100 years or more. And the membership is slowly declining, especially in the central California area where every small town had their own Masonic lodge. And, uh, but these buildings are are really historic buildings uh, and they should be maintained either by the masons or maybe the local community would take them over.
0: And the the when a local community, for example, in some cases, takes a, a a masonic temple or a masonic building over, um, you know how important is it? Do you think that the you know masonic attributes or history of the building, if if at all possible, be preserved? You know, um, uh. And discussed, I think of, for example, Oriental. It's not called that anymore. I can't think of the name of it now. Um, the former Oriental Theater in Chicago, in the downtown Chicago, was originally a Masonic temple. And you know, when you look up its history, when you get information about it, even the the, the building itself, it always references its Masonic history and origins, and the Masonic uh, symbolism still on the facade. Um, so you know, how important is it, or, or How can communities, if they take over one of these buildings, still respect its heritage and its um, origins as a Masonic building?
1: Well, I think the the local community, uh, whatever it may be, uh, should be able to uh, put up a a plaque or something or or give guided tours or uh, in some way let let the local community know about the heritage of these buildings. Uh, some have just been lost to uh, decline, and I've been to some of these older uh, buildings that are no longer Masonic buildings, but are maintained by the local community, and uh, they have Create, recreated the the lodges just as they were a hundred years ago it's really fun to go through some of these things as a as a museum
0: yeah you know for uh, fort edmonton we have we have one here uh a lot of masonic temples find uh, uh second lives as masonic museums type of, of thing which is a really really very cool thing uh, what are some of the temples or Masonic buildings that you've had the chance to visit that really stick out in your mind?
1: Uh, the old Highway 49, which was the, uh, the gold rush, uh, highway, every little town had a Masonic lodge and, uh, many of them have been turned into, uh, museums, uh, to where people can go through. There are, are cemeteries and, uh, museums throughout these old, uh, gold rush towns that are fun to be able to walk through and see the old Masonic building as it, as it used to be. It's really kind of fun.
0: And, sir, where was that located and? and
1: It's Highway 49. It's, it's the old uh, uh, gold rush uh, uh, road that used to go through all these different country uh, uh, communities that uh, were big in, during the gold rush,
0: the 1849s. I didn't know California had a gold rush. I thought gold rush was all in like Yukon and, and the northern part of Canada. I didn't know you had it down there. Oh, no, that's how
1: California got started. If it wasn't for that, we'd still be a backward uh, country.
0: Really? So was gold, like how did that work? Was, was gold just discovered by somebody in California and then the word spread? Like were people coming in from... Uh is that, is that where like the, the go west young man type of uh, wagon trails yeah. and stuff?
1: Gold was uncovered in 1849 in California uh, near Sacramento, which is the state capital. And people came from all over the country to see if they could uh, make their fortune in the gold mines. Of course, most of them didn't. and uh, But the people ended up staying here and building communica- communities all over the West Coast
0: so was that all was the gold rush all along the west coast then from like california to yukon to alaska or was it um uh, no it was pretty like- much
1: uh in the sacramento area but people people moved to san francisco and moved to san diego and uh you know once they either made it rich or lost all their money and uh, had to start all over they went to the big cities
0: you know it's fascinating how um so, so much of Masonic history is, you know, a a group of people move somewhere for some reason it could be a gold rush in this case, could be a military base, could be um, in Windsor, you know, uh, railroad workers, because this was the end of the line for the Great Western Track. And then, um, you know, the Masonic lodges and Masonic temples uh follow afterwards um are there also i'm curious then are a lot of masonic temples in california or masonic lodges do they have like uh, names related to the gold rush related to to gold mines
1: no most of them are related to the town in which they were founded
0: okay so um is so is there like a san diego lodge or a sacramento lodge
1: Right. Yes. In San Francisco, there are a few of them. Sacramento and Los Angeles, there are a number of them, depending on which community. No, most of them. We have uh, many hundreds of lodges throughout California, mostly named for the town in which they were founded.
0: Neat. That's very cool. In, in Windsor. So like our original lodge in Windsor, Ontario is Great Western uh, Lodge because it's named after the railway that came Uh, the railroad line that that was through here. A lot of workers formed their own Masonic Lodge. Um, What would you say outside of, you know, November 13th and your, your um, awards ceremony, which I'm sure you're looking forward to, what are you most looking forward to in, in the coming months and years within the craft?
1: Well, the first thing is I'm, I'm retiring as treasurer this year. Of the lodge. Uh, I'm going to let somebody else take over for a while and I'll be kind of a a man of many trades uh, to do whatever is necessary in the lodge. I want to mentor some of the newer members and I'll just take over whenever they need somebody either as chaplain or one of the other positions I'm happy to fill in but it'll be nice to be able to sit on the sidelines and not have to wear a. A
0: tuxedo occasionally. I know many uh, brethren who feel the same way and I very much look forward to to sitting on the sidelines. Um and you know, uh, we mentioned, you know, we, we met through brother carp, uh, previous hiring award recipient, and you know, he's done a lot of work with the his virtual get-togethers, which we all log into. How, during the last year and a half, how often were you involved in virtual Masonic events and Zoom meetings? And, and how did you find them? Um, did you enjoy them? Do you think that they're here to stay even once we're in person, even once we're all meeting in person again? Uh, just what do you think about the virtual side of the craft? Well, uh, you know, I, I
1: tuned in every, uh, every uh, stated meeting for the, the lodge meeting and do whatever business we could do. And then we had a monthly or a weekly get together of the members uh, Thursday nights just to gab and see how everybody's doing and stay in touch. And that was fun. We, uh, we used to go to a restaurant and sit around and, uh, and ta- talk to Breeze and uh, have snacks and things. And that was always fun. But uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to do more things in person and less things online.
0: I agree. Um, uh, in person is always preferable. But, you know, the, the online world did bring some advantages such as this, right? The, the ability to meet brothers from not that I, I, I would have loved to get to visit you in person and, and visit California in person. But for now, uh, Zoom and um, Brother Carbs Fellowship will, will have to do. But I do very much appreciate you taking the time to appear on the podcast. Um, Oh, uh, Brother Carp was mentioning it. um, So I don't know how how involved you are with it. But you guys have an open house coming up, if I recall correctly. Can you talk about about that and, and how that's going? And for any California brethren watching this, how they can or anybody from California interested in Freemasonry, how they can take part?
1: Well, anybody that may have uh, a friend who uh, is in the Southern California area that would like to uh, learn a little bit more about Freemasonry, we have an open house coming up in September, and you can look on the uh, Clarence F. Smith uh, Facebook page to see the date. I don't recall the date offhand, but, uh, you yeah, know, we, we, the last time we had one, which was a year and a half ago, we had like 17 uh, prospects, and I think we got five or six uh, new members out of it. So there is a definite
0: interest in uh, Freemasonry coming up. That is uh, great to hear. I'll throw the website in the description to this video. And Brother Man, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to speak with me all the way from sunny California. Appreciate
1: it. Thank you very much.